Welcome to Politics is Everything, where we venture outside the White House and U.S. Capitol to see how politics in the era of Donald Trump is having an impact on virtually everything. I'm Caitlin Huey Burns, national political reporter for Real Clear Politics and your host for this podcast. Each week, I examine an industry or an issue affected by politics in a new way. And in today's episode, we're hitting the runway. When Melania Trump stepped out onto the world stage last week for the first time as First Lady, all eyes were on the fashion. The fuchsia cape dress in Riyadh, the black-laced veil at the Vatican, the belted coat dress in Brussels, and, of course, the floral coat in Sicily. The last ensemble drew additional headlines as it retailed for a cool $51,000, equivalent to the median household income in the United States, and a sharp contrast to her husband's America First campaign and working class coalition. Yet Melania Trump's decision to wear the coat was also an exercise in fashion diplomacy, a nod to the Italian designer Dolce & Gabbana. The New York Post's page six described Mrs. Trump's foreign fashion debut as revenge on those designers who had refused to dress her. Politics and fashion have long intertwined, most notably in the form of the First Ladies of the United States. Jackie Kennedy, of course, was considered a fashion icon, and Michelle Obama was practically a brand ambassador for J. Crew and was known for catapulting the careers of lesser-known American designers. The gowns and accessories worn by the First Ladies dating back to Martha Washington are enshrined at the Smithsonian and are therefore an official part of history. But in the Trump era, politics and fashion are mixing in new ways. After Donald Trump's election, top fashion designers made a point to say they would not offer to dress the First Lady out of protest to her husband's policies and rhetoric, despite the fact that Melania Trump is a former model. Stefano Gabbana of Dolce & Gabbana defied many in the industry by posting a photo praising Mrs. Trump for wearing a dress by the Italian label to a New Year's Eve party. While the fashion industry often intersects with politics in the form of cultural expression or policy related to labor and trade, the relationship has become tense. I think in the past, um, at least the the recent past, um, you know, particularly for the American design industry, the connection to politics has really been, you know, about dressing a first lady and um, hoping that an administration will be supportive of particular issues that are important to the fashion industry and to the garment industry. Um, But in large part, you know, the way that the public sees it, it's just, you know, it's, it's dressing a first lady. And that has never really been something that has been fraught before. And it is with this administration, and I think it's something that has caused the fashion industry to to kind of do a little bit of soul-searching in terms of how it relates to politics and whether or not um, its work product uh, should be political or if it should simply be work product. That's Robin Gavon, a Pulitzer Prize-winning fashion critic at The Washington Post. Fashion is a billion-dollar industry and employs hundreds of thousands of people in New York alone. Um, And that it ranges from the $20 t-shirt that should raise concerns about labor issues all the way up to the $50,000 handmade floral coat. 
I'll talk with Robin a bit later on in the show about designers becoming more politically active, how clothing choices can send a political message, and how women's magazines are approaching the Trumps. The Trumps have a unique relationship with the fashion industry. Nordstrom dropped the line of Ivanka Trump, the president's daughter, citing low performance. Opponents of the president urged a boycott of the brand, and White House advisor Kellyanne Conway breached ethical lines by defending Ivanka Trump's brand from the briefing room. During the 2016 campaign, Donald Trump came under fire for manufacturing his own brand items overseas. Macy's dropped his line early on in the campaign in light of his controversial rhetoric. And now that he is president, designers are using the runway as a platform to protest him. Politics was a feature of the fashion shows this year. Different labels dressed their models in things like pink resistance hats and she persisted t-shirts. One designer made red Make America New York hats and another featured shirts embroidered with the word sad, a play on Trump. In some ways, the clash between the fashion industry and Donald Trump isn't all that surprising. Most of the fashion world, the big names were really solidly, squarely in the Hillary Clinton camp, right? Like, And she had people like Anna Winter, the editor of Vogue magazine behind her, and Huma Abedin, you know, wears a lot of designer clothes as well. You know, those t-shirts that were made by Diane von Furstenberg and other top-notch designers for Hillary's campaign. So it's a huge chunk of the fashion world very clearly, very loudly established themselves as I'm with her, right? So I think when President Trump won, um, there's this conflict. That's Kate Bennett, who covers the first family, style, and culture in Washington for CNN and is a former fashion editor. In 2016, Vogue made its first ever endorsement of a presidential candidate by supporting Hillary Clinton. Editor Anna Wintour hosted a Fashion Week fundraiser for Clinton, the first female nominee of a major party. The potential for a first woman president shed new light on politics, power, and fashion. But Clinton's loss and Trump's election raised the question of how women's magazines might cover the Trump era. A lot of the women's magazines got involved um, in political debate, which I think is healthy. And young women are huge, important, influential, and often ignored um, cross-section of of a voter Mm -hmm. demographic. But (laughs) I sort of feel like there's an inherent... um, bias happening. And I was really happy recently to hear that Anna Winter said she was going to put Melania Trump on the cover of Vogue, as she did Michelle Obama, as she did Hillary Clinton. Well, it's on the Trumps to establish themselves as having something to say and, and establishing a platform, which the First Lady has really yet to do in a very outlined way. Mm-hmm. Um or Ivanka Trump really specifically. But I think it's also on the publications to um, you know, have a fair and equitable sort of division of of politics. For her part, Mrs. Trump is already embracing fashion as diplomacy and is conscious of her clothing choices. At her husband's inauguration, she wore American designer Ralph Lauren, seen as a sign of patriotism. And while abroad last week, she showed her gratitude to one of her favorite foreign designers. All these other designers said they wouldn't dress her, a few of them. And Dolce & Gabbana, from the beginning, um, she wore a Dolce Gabbana dress on New Year's Eve, and the designer took a lot of flack for it. And he stood up for her and said, listen, if you don't like that I dress her, whatever, unfollow me. I don't care. And I feel like this trip, she wore Dolce more than any other designer, just out of a thank you and loyalty. And um, and I think that was not a subtle message. At the end of the day, she might become something of a style icon. I think she's already branching out that way. And, you know, any designer can say whatever they want, but I think... Um, 
it from a business perspective, it might behoove them not to let politics get involved. And now that the First Lady plans to move to Washington full-time, the spotlight on fashion and politics in the Trump era will continue. When it comes to fashion and politics, there is perhaps no better expert than fashion critic Robin Gavon. She was kind enough to join the podcast, and we began the conversation by discussing the risks and benefits for designers engaging in politics. The most, um, I, I, I think, um sort of provocative was the designer Sophie Fiale, uh, who is uh, French by birth and works in New York. Her business is based in New York. And she was quite vocal early on about not um, wanting to associate her work with the incoming administration. And, I mean, she certainly got a lot of, um, at least verbal and social media blowback um, because she wrote an open letter uh, and she made her stance quite public. And um, I know she was surprised, not that people disagreed with her, but surprised by the level of um, vitriol that came her way. Um, I, I think she was expecting that people would be more sort of thoughtful in their responses. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would not describe a lot of them as thoughtful. Hmm, interesting. Has there been any kind of economic impact for uh, designers or members of the industry who who, who get involved in, in politics? Well, I mean, if you if you separate out, um, you know, the Ivanka Trump brand and sort of mm -hmm. what it's been going through, um, and you start sort of looking at um, companies that don't have that kind of connection, um, you know, it's it's always a bit tricky, you know, because um, you know, the, the the previous First Lady, Michelle Obama, tended to often wear sort of mass market brands, mm -hmm. brands that the average person could go out and consume, whether it was the Gap or J. Crew, And they would see an uptick in the sale of particular items. Mm -hmm. But when you have the really high-end stuff, I mean, you're talking about, one, an audience that already is quite limited. Um, and then when you're looking at things that have been perhaps tweaked for the First Lady, that are not um, precisely, you know, as they would be off the rack, um, then sort of the, the notion of sales becomes much more difficult to um, to measure. Um, but the, certainly the, the sort of advertising, marketing, uh, name recognition, mm -hmm. that is something that you know, really can't put a price tag on. Um, and for a lesser-known designer to have someone on a global stage wearing their clothes, um, it's extraordinary. I mean, you, there's mm -hmm. simply no way that you can buy that kind of name recognition. Mm -hmm. Right, a, a real a facet of, of the Obama years. I'm wondering, too, I mean, we learned, we saw a lot of First Lady Melania Trump last week during the abroad during her tour abroad um, and it was really mm -hmm. kind of her debut on the stage in this way what did we learn about her um, through some of her fashion fashion choices <laughs> I think we learned that she likes a wide belt and she <laughs> likes Dolce and Gabbana <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean I, I think that um, uh, the style that she um, tended to uh, to wear um, was very sort of controlled and polished and tailored. Um, she, you know, clearly likes a suit. Uh, she likes very 
sharp shoulder. Um, she likes something that is, um, and I sort of describe it as, as controlled and contained, not sort of flouncy. Um, and, I, you know, several people have pointed out that despite, um, you know, her husband's rallying cry for Buy American, um, you know, many of her choices were European designers. Um, you know, some of that uh, was meant as a kind of nod to uh, the country that she happened to be in. And certainly her predecessor um, had taken a similar approach. And, and some of it, I think, particularly with the Dolce & Gabbana choices, um, you know, had to do with, one, when she was in Italy, it was certainly sort of geographically appropriate. But I, I think there's also just an affection there. I mean, this is mm -hmm. a brand... Um, you know, the two designers, particularly Stefano Gabbana, has been really publicly um, enthusiastic about her wearing uh, their clothes. Um, and, and I don't think that you can really, um, you know, just as a normal human being, I don't think you can really um, sort of not be drawn to a design house that is that enthusiastic to have you as a customer. Mm-hmm. Right. That's interesting. And and her, her trip and her debut in this way, you know, the, the term fashion diplomacy was brought up a lot last week. I'm wondering if you can kind of explain what that means and why it's important. Well, I, you know, the notion of fashion diplomacy is, um, I think, very particular to the First Lady, in part because on occasions like this, um, she is essentially, you know, there in every photograph that goes into the history books. Um, but her opportunities or her, um, you know, decision to speak um, is quite, you know, are quite limited. Um, she usually doesn't say anything. She usually doesn't re deliver remarks. And so often the only sort of sense of who she is and how she is relating to the occasion comes through her clothes. And, um, you know, it's fashion diplomacy. It's this idea of perhaps, you know, if you're in Italy, um, that you're wearing uh, something that has been produced by an Italian house. Or if you are in Brussels, you know, you're wearing a you know, and a, a designer who, you know, hails from that part of the world. Um, you know, and sometimes it um, can be even more subtle than that. I mean, it may have to do with, you know, wanting to wear something that speaks to, um, you know, colors that are important to a particular culture. Um, I know that there have been occasions with the previous administration and when um, the Obamas were um, celebrating China and the First Lady decided to wear red, which is, you know, a color that sort of speaks uh, to Chinese custom and tradition. So it's really a way of using the symbolic nature of clothing to address the occasion. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, too, whether you've seen um, clothing reflecting kind of the politics of the time or uh, trends being kind of influenced by politics in a way? Um, you know, it's, I would say that trends typically are not, I think it's mm -hmm. sort of the other way around. Hmm. And I think that oftentimes first ladies will embrace a trend and sort of help move it forward, mm -hmm. uh, sort of move it into the mainstream. Um, I think it's, 
very rare for a first lady to start a trend. And that's typically because, you know, they're working within a very conservative realm. And, you know, they're not going to be out there sort of on the edge of fashion uh, in terms of their choices. Um, You know, a lot of people associate sleeveless dresses with Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. But the industry had for quite a long time been pushing the idea of a sheath dress Mm -hmm. as sort of the new business uniform. Mrs. Obama embraced that and I think made it sort of okay for women who may have been more hesitant um, to embrace it um, on their own. And, you know, I think with Mrs. Trump, um, she has so far been a big proponent of, you know, blazers, suits, tailoring, um, something that fashion has turned it attention to once again. So, Mm -hmm. you know, other women might be inspired to sort of take that on. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I tend to think that they don't really create trends. Mm. And and that reminds me of of Hillary Clinton, and and you've written about kind of her influence in terms of of uh, pantsuit designers, um, and you you've written about um, a, a Tahari Fall campaign featuring uh, model a model in the Oval Office. I'm wondering if you can mm-hmm. kind of speak to to that and kind of what that means. Well, I, I mean, I think the fashion industry had a really sort of interesting relationship with. Um, with Hillary Clinton, I mean, I think, you know, it goes certainly back to when she was first lady and she hosted the fashion industry at the White House and she sort of had this very sort of tortured relationship with her own personal fashion and what she would wear and the attention that was being paid to it and so on and so on. But I I think she also posed a really interesting question um, for the industry, which is, you know, what would a female commander-in-chief look like? And, you know, so often um, I think fiction has given us some vague references to a female commander-in-chief, but I think it was an idea that was really appealing to the industry because it it raised questions about, you know, what does power look like when it is sort of worn by a woman? What does power at that level look like when it's worn by a woman? And I, I think it's also something that the public at large struggled with. It was one of the reasons why I think people tended to be so willing to parse uh, Hillary Clinton's appearance because no one could really agree on what was the appropriate thing for her to wear because they had no precedent. Mm. And so they were still trying to figure that out. Mm. And in in the context of of the fashion industry and Hillary Clinton, uh, Vogue made its first endorsement of a presidential Mm -hmm. candidate for Clinton. Um, Does that mean that we're going to see, uh, you know, fashion and culture magazines kind of get more involved in campaigns like that? Or was that kind of um, exclusive to something that you just described regarding Hillary Clinton? There was definitely a unique set of circumstances um, that I think led Vogue to um, you know, publicly endorsed Hillary, Hillary Clinton. I mean, there was the historical nature of the campaign. There was also, you know, the editor-in-chief's uh, support of Hillary Clinton. Um, but I do think that it opened the door to this realization that 
why it was it's so long time in coming is beyond me that um you know readers of fashion magazines can hold two separate thoughts in their head simultaneously mm-hmm. they can be interested in the latest gucci handbag and they can be interested in foreign policy mm-hmm. um you know they're not mutually exclusive and you know in many ways these the magazines have a focus on fashion but they also have a breadth they cover a breadth of topics mm-hmm. from cinema to women's issues to fashion um, and have regularly had features about uh, women in politics so I, I think it's it's a good thing that you know these magazines are becoming more, sort of straightforward and uh, blunter in their political coverage because I, I, it, it makes sense that wherever you can engage people mm-hmm. are not necessarily in this sort of vacuum of partisan conversations. Um, it can only help the, the electoral process. Mm. And as it pertains to Ivanka Trump and First Lady Melania Trump, how have fashion magazines been approaching the Trump era? Um, Have you seen any kind of difference in coverage or perhaps a lack of coverage or, um, you know, decisions being made about how to approach approach, uh, this administration given, um, you know, the the political tensions that exist? I would say that there's been... Certain amount of, uh, um, I think, reserve in the coverage, but it's it's interesting to me that um, early on, in sort of the heated aftermath of the election, there was, you know, if you were to believe everything that you read, there there was going to be basically no coverage of either the new first lady or Ivanka Trump when it came to fashion. Um, and I think that clearly has proven to be not the case. Um, I would say that I probably have seen far fewer, you know, slideshows devoted to chronicling every single garment um, that Melania Trump wears on, you know, in a given week. Um, I haven't seen, although it might be out there, um, you know, a, a website dedicated solely to her fashion, but, you know, so it hasn't been to were sincere, but I also think that people have started to succumb to the reality or to wake up to the reality that, um, you know, here's the first lady and she's out there on the global stage and whether you are enthusiastic about that or not, um, she represents the American people. Mm-hmm. And kind of on that note, you know, I've been thinking a lot too about, um, this idea of, uh, fashion and, and feminism, which you've also written about and, and politics also kind of making its way to the runway. We saw, uh, some of that reflected in um, during Fashion Week in, in February and, and some last year, too. I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to that trend. Yeah. Um, the, when I first noticed it was really with uh, the menswear shows in New York um, before the election, um, and it was 
um, a lot of designers who felt that, um, you know, the, the policy positions would be detrimental to them professionally or personally. Um, you know, these were designers who were immigrants in New York um, and who had come here to work for other design houses or had started their own business. Um, and they were sort of making their positions uh, or their concerns clear on their runway or in presentations, whether it was with, you know, T-shirts or the specific inspiration that they might have had. Um, you know, one designer invited the leaders of the Women's March uh, to participate in her show. Um, so there was definitely a sense that the fashion runway was the equivalent of their soapbox. And they were going to use it to say more than simply, you know, I, I believe in yellow and orange, you know, for the next season. And they really wanted to use it to make their social and political concerns heard. Um, and, and I also think that we're, that the, the fact of, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's run for the presidency um, also sort of awakened a kind of uh, feminism, uh, feminist connection to fashion um, that I think always existed, but tended to be a bit below the surface. And, you know, and, and it's this idea that um, the delights of women should not be delegitimized simply because they are um, the delights of women. Um, you know, fashion is no less of a cultural force than sports, but sports tends to be seen as the purview of men and fashion the purview of women, and one and sports tends to be valued uh, more generally than than fashion. And I think that is that if not changing, it's at least a conversation. And people are asking, why is it so, and should it be? Hmm. That's fascinating. And so what else is on, on your radar? We know that the First Lady is planning to move uh, to Washington soon, so presumably we'll see more of her. But as we talk about uh, fashion and politics mixing, what are you looking for? What's kind of on, on your radar now? Well, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not, um, you know, the First Lady begins to embrace uh, the American fashion industry as, um, you know, as an industry and tries to, in some way, um, you know, use her um, profile in order to draw attention to that industry, to um, enliven it, to, um, you know, to sort of tap into this whole notion of, you know, by America and whether or not she can um, encourage people to do that, whether or not she will want to encourage people to do that, um, whether her relationship with that industry will start to be less fraught um, and, um, you know, a certain degree of comfort will set in. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting, you know, the first state dinner, uh, um, you know, what she will decide to wear because that is one of those events uh, where the dress, um, you know, really does have a certain significance. 
um, it typically is something that becomes either part of a library, it goes to the National Archives, you know, it sort of has a place in history. So it carries a bit more weight than uh, than other dresses. And, you know, and I think it'll be interesting just to sort of see um, whether or not, um, you know, fashion as an industry begins to engage on some of those concerns that are not so clearly about the clothes, whether it's immigration, uh, tax reform, all those things that affect fashion as an industry, but aren't quite as glamorous as, you know, the runway show.